Hello and welcome to another episode of Barbarians at the Gate. This is Jeremiah Jenny who has returned to my perch high above the Dongcheng district of Beijing awaiting the uh, repatriation. I guess it's not repatriation. We had this last week. The return to the mainland <laughs> of my uh, of the my return collaborator. Of the <laughs> right, return of the non-native David Moser. David, how you doing? Good. Nice weather here. 20-some degrees today. I assume that you've got the same thing there, right? Nah, it snowed. Ah, and that voice nah. that you heard in the background there is our <laughs> guest today, Philip Cunningham, who we're really pleased to have on the podcast. Philip's been a regular visitor to China since 1983. He's worked as a producer, a writer, a scholar, a teacher. He's, con- he's conducted media research uh, as a Knight Fellow, a Fulbright Scholar and a recipient of a Neiman Fellowship at Harvard. He's also the author of a great book, Tiananmen Moon, which is a first-hand account of the 1989 protests in Beijing. And he has a fabulous substack called CCTV Follies, a personal take on China's nightly news and a reverent roundup that focuses on what is being shown and what is being said. And uh, Phil, welcome to the podcast, all the way from Ithaca, New York, right? Yes. Well, thank you very much for having me, and thank you for such a kind introduction. So, Phil, maybe you could start off and, and talk a little bit. Uh, I mean, I've been I, I follow the CCTV followers, which you put a little bit on your Twitter feed as well, and then you have the Substack, which goes into some detail. Can you tell us about the origins of uh, doing live takes of the CCTV news? Which I, I have to tell you, I feel like that's both a, a test of China knowledge and a small test of endurance. <laughs> It probably is both. And uh, I I very frequently hear, get comments, especially on Twitter. Thanks for doing this because I couldn't possibly sit through a program and so on. But uh, I I actually enjoy it some of the time, maybe even most of the time. But if you you think about what's happening and there's a lot of deception and uh, demagoguery and lies and personality cult and twisting of the truth, it can also get you angry. So I I found the best way to deal with it is with a sense of humor, to take it lightly, to poke fun at it where I can, to uh, let it speak for itself as much as possible. I mean, I only use images from the program and I follow the the news stories that are covered by the program, but I'll offer my point of view or it's a little bit like every once in a while, I'll do a little bit of a mad lib like what they're saying and what they're really saying and uh, what they're showing and what they're really showing. And and there's often a gap between the two, and that's where the humor lies. You know, I think many of our, our listeners are familiar with the CCTV evening news program. But there's a, for those people who probably are who may not be mm-hmm. uh, watching uh, Chinese central television right. in the evening every night, maybe tell us a little bit about the Xinwen Lianbo, the history of it, how it's evolved and, and what it means today. Okay, well, Xiuan Lianbo, the easiest way to describe it, it's the evening news that everyone watches, or in theory, everyone watches. And back in the day when there was only one or two TV stations, that's that was the news. There's, there's a lot of uh, stations in China now, but strangely enough, there's not a lot of differentiation in the news. Basically, every provincial station carries Xiuan Lianbo, which is a flagship program. So you're getting the authoritative voice of the Communist Party at you know 7 p.m. every day. And it's evolved a bit over the years. It's always been a bit on the stodgy side. It's like People's Daily done in uh, visuals, you know, in, in television. And yet it's also really 
evolved by leaps and bounds in a way that is unrecognizable from, you know, let's say back in the 80s when I, I first watched the program or when I had to endure the martial law announcements during the Tiananmen demonstrations and I wanted to see what they were saying on TV. It's, it's so different from them because they've gotten so good at production. Uh, the, the camera work is excellent. You have satellites, you have teams around the world. It's probably the biggest and best funded news station on the entire planet. I don't think... Uh, even BBC can compare with CCTV's reach right now. But of course, they waste it because it's top-down editorial. So Beijing tells them what to say. So you have all these young kids and in far-flung places. I mean, for example, a recent earthquake in Turkey. They had someone on the ground in Turkey, a woman who speaks Turkish. They had a, a man, a stringer in Syria. I mean, find a U.S. network that has that kind of reach. And this is over and over again. But the, the sad thing is, is you, we very rarely hear from these people. One of the things that got me into the CCTV, CCTV follies was the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I wanted to see how that was playing on the flagship news program in China. And I was, it became very obvious to me very early on that this was leaning towards Russia. And with each passing day, it seemed to be solidified, not just sort of leaning towards Russia. They could have gone either way for a while. They could have been neutral. They could have taken a different tack. It was, they, you know, they were getting direction. They were getting guidance to do something that was orthodox, pro-Kremlin, to the extent where they used Kremlin-provided, Russian Ministry of Defense-provided video for several minutes every evening, every single day. Um, I think that the day that she was, Xi Jinping was coronated as the uh, sort of leader forever in China was the only day where perhaps the Russian news didn't appear. And, and one day over the New Year's holidays, perhaps for reasons of auspiciousness, but basically every single day since last February 24th, we've been watching, if you're watching CCTV, you get hit with this footage from Russia, curated by the Kremlin, introduced for the last half a year, it was introduced by Igor Konyshenkov, who was a Russian defense ministry spokesman. Now they just play it straight because... I think the viewers realize where it's coming from by now, but it is totally orthodox, 100% pro-Russia. You know, you're right about the evolution uh, in, in terms of the format and in terms of the basic style and the base, and the aspect that it's all visuals and you have the news announcers talking and seldom hear anyone else, uh, either remotely or even the even the fearless leader get, doesn't talk very much, you know, uh, but with the yes, the amazing thing is the 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 production values, the computer graphics is, is so incredibly slick and professional now, very Hollywood level. Um, I I think I sent I tweeted or maybe something I I, I described your Substack as uh, great data for anyone writing a PhD dissertation on the semiotics of Chinese state media. And it's, it's, it strikes me that, in a certain sense, there's an almost hypnotic quality about it. It's, I don't know how you would prescribe it. It's, it's very performative. It's, a, it's kind of the visual. TV is a very visual medium, of course. The, the, the images are what drive the narrative. And the talk in the background is just blather. Most people are making dinner or something, and they're mainly just catching brief images. So your substack sort of captures that uh, really well. But you know, how would you describe... you know? You said the, uh, the People's Daily on TV. It was basically, uh, is in the sense, is the message basically mirrors what's happening in the People's Daily. You know, um, but how would you describe? You know, what what do you think the effect is there? Because it's almost it's hard to imagine that that it does anything more than just reinforce 
you know, certain images and stereotypes that people have. There's nothing very much in depth. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, those are all good points. And I was thinking about this today. I think it's a kind of religious experience. It's a ritual. There's, uh, as a linguist once said, the, the right words in rote order. And is a way of giving comfort to the viewer that everything's under control. We do the same thing here every day. We always start out with our great leader, Xi Jinping. We give you 10 minutes. Of, that's the real people's daily part of it, the first 10 minutes where it's all about yeah. Xi Jinping and his many, right. many accomplishments. And then you get about 10 minutes. The, 10 middle, the middle eight is about domestic things, tractors and skyscrapers and rockets and fast trains and things. And that's probably the most interesting if you want to understand what's happening in China. And the last 10 minutes, and this is nowadays, the last 10 minutes is the war in Ukraine, which is called, of course, you can't call it a war even today on CCTV. So right. it's called the right. Ukraine situation or the, the crisis or, the conflict. or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so you have uh, several minutes about the conflict and then you have other international news. And the, the formula most recently, and this has been repeated almost without exception, is that the, the last the button, the last thing you close with in U.S. news, typically they do some little human interest story or something. And that's the end of the news, you know, something light where people watch the heavy news and leave with a smile. But CCTV closes its news with depressing reports from the United States, gun violence <laughs> right. uh, and whatever. And so this, this, the Cy Hirsch piece was amazing because it's such a big piece for China. And they've, CCTV has spent the last week studiously ignoring the balloon incident. Nothing, not a single clip, nothing on the balloon. Um, because that's not, it's, it's very hard for China to spin that to its own people in a way that's edifying. But here's something, this is catnip for CCTV. You have a story where an American is saying America has done a bad thing. Basically, Cy Hirsch wrote a story, and I, I want to say something, because you mentioned I was a Neiman Fellow. I met Cy Hirsch when I was a Neiman Fellow, and the person who was, uh, he was quoted, of course, extensively on CCTV Today, but Chris Hedges was the second opinion who came in on CCTV Today. He was also a Neiman Fellow. So to say that Cy Hirsch and Chris Hedges are just apologists or something is is is, is really not fair. They're both very smart. They're both very good journalists. They both work for the New York Times and, and in many other, you know, esteemed publications. So th these are serious people. They may be wrong on this particular story. They may be right. But the point is CCTV loves it because it just coincidentally fills a narrative need for China to bash the United States. And if an American can provide that material to them, they'll take it. If a Russian provides it, they'll take it too. But they have editorial guidance to end the program with a negative take on the U.S. And this is such a big story and so much value to their PR efforts and to get the balloon, sort of sweep the balloon under the rug, so to speak, that they're really pulled you know, kind of a full court press today. I mean, they gave it about... There's 20 or 30 images just to go along with that story, pictures of Nord Stream, pictures of the underwater pipes that have been broken, submarine photo photography, pictures of Chris Hedges explaining why U.S. denial is not believable, pictures of the White House, the CIA headquarters. I mean, they, they just went to town with this story. So it's one of those rare moments where CCTV, through no journalistic hustle of its own, has a story land on its lap, which is useful to its narrative. When a story like that is presented and, you know, having watched the Lian Bo over the years, one of the, the things that it reminds me very much of like 
Fox News in the U.S., where you know you it's it's important. It's very it's presented in a very slick way, but there's very little attempt or to try to get any kind of competing views. There's there's no attempt to try to balance out any particular narrative because it's all about pushing a narrative. That's one way I always think CCTV News and Fox News are really quite similar. But I wonder too. Uh, you know, I think about viewers, people who watch Fox News only and people who watch CCTV only for different reasons. What I'd like to ask you is, you've been watching Chinese media for, you know, since the 1980s. How have people's relationship with this information changed or has it changed? When people, we, you know, there, there's a there's a narrative, right, that everybody, that people watch it, but they know it's, you know, they know it's not totally real. They know it's not the truth. They're reading between the lines. And yet, living here, I, I have conversations with people who very much just parrot what they're hearing on the Xinwen Lian Bo. So, you know, it, it makes me think that, sure, people may know that it's not necessarily the truth per se, whatever that is, but at the same time, it does seem to have a reach. And when you hear every day things that are very comforting to a viewer, like your leaders are wise, the situation is excellent, everything outside of China is going to hell in a zombie apocalypse, have your dinner. Well, I, I think you touched on a very important point, and that is how is this received in China? And um, I certainly know from the people I know and talk about this with, very few people take it at face value. But it's like, you know, when we grew up in the United States watching TV commercials, you didn't take them at face value, but they had an effect on your psyche, your consciousness, your likes, your dislikes, your predispositions and so on. And I would argue Fox News does the precise same thing with its demo in the United States. So like Fox News, I think CCTV is partly information, but that's a really small part of it. I think it's guidance how to think. What is the where is the party line right now? And you grow you're living in a communist country, it's very important to know where the party line is. This is where it is. This is what we're saying now. You don't have to believe it. No one's asking you to believe it. Just know where it is and know what to say if someone puts a microphone in your face and saying, you know, who's the greatest leader China's ever had and you know, whatever, you know how to answer that. And you have ready made answers, as I think Fox does. It manufactures consent, as Chomsky's great phrase. Manufactures consent so people know what they should be saying about Ukraine, about Russia, about UK. You know, the thing that right now, the position on England, by the way, is why, how could England be wasting its time and money supporting Ukraine when it's crippled by a nurse's strike at home? I mean, that's that's the narrative right now. It's like, what nerve these Western countries have to meddle and intervene in Ukraine when they can't even get their own act together? And of course, when they finally turned the, to the closing footage of U.S., they love that picture of the train wreck the other day because the, the pictures of the flames and black smoke were so apocalyptic. How could the United States have time to be intervening in Ukraine and other places when they've got so many problems at home? So that 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 is definitely you know the message, the emotional transference that they're delivering to their people that. We've got everything under control, but they don't listen to us. Don't listen to them. I think that's an interesting point to raise because uh, you mentioned we we're talking about Fox News, and there is that similarity. But the difference is, that I think, is probably good to point out, and, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, Phil. Is that the U.S. media environment is all about ratings and infotainment? There's no meaningful separation between news and and entertainment. They're, they they mix together. Talking heads are stars, and and the personalities all weigh in. And politics is a rowdy sort of interesting thing where everyone has different points of view. In China, well, I don't think a lot of people realize you turn on Chinese TV and it looks as lively and commercial as anything because there's so many ads. But this, but what you do find if you watch carefully is that there's a strict separation between news and everything else. 
I mean, you can any kind of entertainment is okay. It makes money. But the news is hermetically sealed from everything else. You don't mention politics in variety shows. And so, so the news takes on a very special uh, role here, and I think you outlined it very well, which is to get the message to manufacture consent. Can you talk about that a little bit in terms of the, how, see, it's not meant to entertain, and it's not meant to, to give rise to all kinds of, of public discussion. It's meant to be taken in. Like the, like the priest talking in Latin and everyone nods and goes home. I, I want to return to that. You mentioned the priest because it is liturgical. I mean, it's like a service where you sit down and the first 10 minutes, they're rambling on about something and it's boring, but you sit there and then they have, the point is you have a predictable turn. Then you know you're going to turn to domestic. First, you have the leadership news. Then you have the domestic news. And, you know, traditionally, if you go back, you know, not, not so many years ago, the international news sometimes could be as short as one minute. I mean, they would spend 29 minutes showing Chinese leaders pointing at things. And then you'd have <laughs> one minute wrapping up what was happening in the rest of the world. For better or worse, the balance has changed. We get almost a solid 10 minutes every day telling you what's happening in the rest of the world. Unfortunately, from the point of view of uh, Ukraine's cause, a good three or four of that minutes is wasted with Russian Ministry of Defense um, footage and uh, putting into Chinese terms the, the Russian line on things. And CCTV is, to me, is surprisingly compliant with a foreign power in this case, because Russia, for example, uh, doesn't even go to this extent. But CCTV will not show a map of Ukraine with borders. Every time CCTV puts a map up on the back, uh, back screen, on the green screen, it's got Ukraine without borders. And that's very useful to the myth, myth that Russia is regaining lost territory, that there never really was a border in the first place, that this is all up for grabs. And they're doing a great disservice to uh, you know the world as we know it, but it's very loyal to Putin, very loyal to a certain Russian-centric view of the world. And I, you know, I've had a lot of experience with CCTV over the years. I really expected better than that. I expected, I expect a pro-China point of view. I didn't expect a slavishly pro-Russian point of view. Some people have put this on Twitter, and and I, I kind of, there as a historian, I'm always a little cautious of these parallels. But country A is being invaded by country B that wants to take them over, and country A is, you know, desperately seeking weapons and the means to defend itself and is sending representatives around the world asking for help. It just reminds me so much of, frankly, what China was doing in the 1930s with Song Mei Ling visiting Washington and visiting the United States, and as, as Zelensky does today, asking for, you know, help and support and arms. And, you know, the, the idea is like, Britain has this train strike, so why, why should they be sending Western aid? You know, like, the U.S. was in the middle of a Great Depression. Why send help to China, in fact? No, I, I think the historic parallels are important because, you know, for a lot of us watching, and I'm also, you know, a historian by training, and I um, can't help but see parallels to things that happened in World War II. And uh, the, the land war in Europe is certainly part of it. And the horrors and the uh, treatment of civilians and prisoners and so on is just horrific. But it's also true that, to use a hackneyed phrase, but it's still useful, is such a thing as being on the right side and the wrong side of history. And like you said, U.S. wasn't in a great position to get in a war when Song Mei Ling and other people went there, but it responded to the call. And I don't think uh, Ukraine was in a great position, and the United States and U.K. may not be in the greatest position to be helping, but they are helping because there are times in history where 
there are forces so dark and so threatening to life as we know it that it's unthinkable that you're going to let the bad guys win, not without a struggle. What I say every time I you know, look at the Russian news on CCTV, I say there's Putin making the world safe for dictatorship. And the voices that they weigh in, China will call on the ambassador from Iran. They'll get someone from Syria. They might get someone from Venezuela. I mean, it's almost like an axis is forming where you have China is clearly leaning towards this pro-Russian alliance. This is only a handful of countries right now, but they've recently added South Africa to that list. So they, they are achieving some success in terms of swaying people not to support Europe, U.S., NATO, and so on. And, and the world is dividing into two camps. I think there's actually maybe even three camps, which is the, the Western camp, if you will, this kind of pro-Russia access in a large number of countries that are like, please just don't ask us. Yeah, yeah. Mom and dad are fighting and like, who do you want to live with, son? You know, and I think a lot of people, yeah. no, a that, lot of that, countries around the fair. world. I mean, India is a case in point. There's a lot of countries that can't be characterized as in one camp or the other. The reason why I kept, I started doing the Follies and I started, only started the Substack in September and started doing it on, assiduously on a daily basis in October. There's just so much going on in China. Oh, and this is the thing I want to say. One of the things I noticed is I started looking at China coverage of Ukraine, but pretty soon I, I couldn't help. You know, I wanted to watch the whole program. And so I was looking at how China's covering itself. And I saw the civil space, the room for discussion, the room for dissent getting smaller and smaller in China. I saw Xi Jinping's ego and the space he occupies getting bigger and bigger. And by the time of the 20th Party Congress in October, it was like, it's almost of Maoist proportions where you have absolutely no dissent can be brooked, no alternate point of views can be given voice to on television. And it's really kind of draconian. It really is uh, black and white. And that is disturbing because, you know, I started, I, I've seen, you know, during the Hu Jintao years, which was no uh, peach garden, if you might, you might say, Looking back, the Hu Jintao years were like freewheeling. You know, there's, I mean, I could get on TV and say things you certainly couldn't come close to saying today. And, and you, could, you could do things, and Chinese people were saying things. There was more than one view out there. It may have been suppressed. It may have been a dominant view. But there were other views percolating up. It's like a vacuum now, a vacuum of dissent. Years ago, when back in the blog era, and, and uh, I wrote something for danway.org, if you can remember that, called Media Schizophrenia. Not only that, uh, I remember your article and you used Wanda Sykes or some clever pseudonym based on the letters of your name, anagram. But but there is something very strange in China, the dynamic, because, uh, yes, the Hu Jintao era was was kind of a golden age and looking back, because there there were a lot of dissenting voices or there was kind of a a kind of an interesting, lively debate happening in the open because of, of the internet precisely and because there were a lot of things that they could no longer just ignore as someone they had to address it in some way or they felt they did. And it seemed like the trajectory was moving towards a kind of a commercially based sort of, you know, some, something like a public forum mm-hmm. that the media could be at some. And of course, that all went in the opposite direction 10, 15, 10 years ago. Right, 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago. Um, this, this schizophrenia that I talk about it's very odd to be a Chinese people, I think, are very used to it. And but I think your substack is useful because it sort of points, it sort of prods and, and examines this 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 uh, 
disassociation, this schizophrenia, that there's actually quite a lot of information in China floating around in social media. A lot of there's mm-hmm. tens tens of millions of people probably who routinely use VPNs so that so they're accessing right. foreign news easily. Uh, and so there's and there's c- complete awareness among at least among the educated class who who read outside you know f- materials outside of the PR- PRC. But there's this weird schizophrenia where there's this very tightly controlled message that's that's the official one that's out there every day, like a you mm-hmm. know like a drumbeat, that doesn't really attract much attention. It's more like as you said, it's more of a guideline of what's of of acceptable discourse mm-hmm. if the microphone is put in your face. So it's a very strange media environment where there's these two worlds, one that's sort of based upon, you know, what's really happening in the world. And another one in which, you know, the biggest world story, the spy balloon is not even covered at all. Mm-hmm. And they're very aware of that. I mean, they're not stupid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they must, yeah, they yeah, know yeah. that that information is out there. There's a method to the madness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, how do you, how do you, how do you square that? I mean, what do you think? Is this, is this a strategy that they've devised or, or is this just inertia? Is this just like a media inertia that they can't imagine doing another way or what? Well, I'm going to generalize here, but like a lot of other things in China, it's incredibly smart and incredibly stupid at the same time. I mean, it's just like you wonder how the country even gets through one day after another because there's so much talent on the one hand and there's so much ineptitude and clumsiness and self-sabotage and dropping a stone on your own feet sort of thing going on. So it's amazing that anything gets done and so much gets done. I mean, it's a technological marvel right now and I might might be a little biased because I watch CCTV so I watch every rocket go off. I I see the trains day in and day out. I see the best that China has to offer in terms of science and technology. And between you and me, I I think that's threatened because there is now an ideology replacing science that's ascientific, amoral, and it's not going to lead China to bigger and better things. It's retrograde. China is is going back into a cave if, you know, it follows that to its logical conclusion. So it's, it's not good news for China's scientists and its development and its skyscrapers and so on that you have this new orthodox, only one correct way of thinking about things. It's, that's, you know, not good for any civilization. And China, I think, is, you know, gasping for air. It needs other points of view. It needs variety. It needs uh, diversity of voices. I also have worked in, in state media at the Education Channel, and I've certainly been in touch with it and still, you know, meet producers. And mm-hmm. and there are a lot, you're, you're very right that there's this wasted talent because there's some very bright people and people who would love to contribute and are you know able to do so, and yet you know they're sort of trapped in in this system. We might expand this a little bit, not just to the CCTV news, but also to CCTV worldwide, mm-hmm. where there's a great uh, you know soft power initiative to try to get uh, you know people right. other countries in in uh, in line, and also they do some 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 good things. I mean, if you look at CCTV in Africa. They're really the only sort of major world news outlet that that does a lot of African news coverage. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh-huh. uh, whereas the like the CNN kind of ignores it. Uh, you know, the 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 producers that I talk to, you know, they also crave viewership and feedback to to show that their 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 broadcasts are making an impact. Right, right. And I, the the thing I hear from the the poor producers, and they're usually young, bright college-educated kids right out of school who want to do something, and they're idealistic. Right. But they're tasked with making the news interesting. And, and they say to me, you know, David, I, 
we put we have this comment section. We hope that people, you know, will will leave comments, and we want to get some interesting. Yeah. But no yeah. one ever, no one ever posts. No one ever answers. And how can we, you know, get more interest? And I just, I just want to hug them and say, you know, oh, you poor, <laughs> you poor schleps. You're working for this this uh, this institution that won't let anything be, you know, interesting right, and right. humanly interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, like I said, the potential is there. I mean, they have the infrastructure, they have the talent, the money, manpower, the money, the money, yeah. satellite links, the everything you could want, and then they have someone in Beijing saying, "No, that's not." You know, they very early in the war, I was looking for like reports from Ukraine. They had a few people in Ukraine, and of course, their coverage was directed on how the Chinese government is doing a great job of evacuating Chinese citizens from a dangerous place. They didn't say war zone because it's not a war, but they said, a da- you know, it's a dangerous place. And of course, the Chinese government actually put people at risk because they were so confident that uh, Russia was going to enter Kiev and win in three or four days that they told Chinese to stay in place, to have flags to wave, Chinese flags to wave when the Russians came in so you wouldn't be harmed and so on. So where you could have had a very interesting story in Ukraine, instead you had, let's get some pictures of our successful evacuation of our Chinese people and then pack up and get out of here. And there was two or three stories. There was one guy in Odessa. He was doing a stand-up on a porch. And the Russian bomb hit somewhere in the city. You could hear it. You could see the flash. And I said, wow, I'm going to follow this. And the story disappeared within one news cycle. It was gone. No more reports from him. They, they don't want journalism. They, they, they want, you know, party propaganda. They have the potential for journalism and is good or better than almost any country in the world. But they don't have the uh, permission. They don't have the mindset. And I would say they don't have the practice. I mean, Chinese don't, even the good, young, energetic, idealistic people we're talking about, they don't have much experience digging, uh, speaking truth to power, investigating, because that's never been permitted in their lifetime. Phil, what do you, there's a lot of commentary about comparative media ecosystems. What do you say to people who, you know, they, they think, well, sure, CCTV is biased, CGTN is biased, Chinese media has a biased media environment. But so does the West. Well, the West is biased. The, the West doesn't show good news either. How, how do we kind of process this? Is this really an apples and apples comparison? Or is this being a little disingenuous? Try to appeal to the historian in you and say this. You know, Winston Churchill was a vile, racist, biased man. And then you have Adolf Hitler. Are they the same? Are they on the same level? I don't think so. Um, there's Everyone has, you know, there's subjectivity everywhere. But there's more and less. There's, uh, in the very least, you have systems whereupon you may have a great deal of patriotism and confidence in your own country, but you, as a kind of less noblesse oblige, you let other people express their point of view. You have a system where there is only one point of view, no alternate point of view can be presented. It's systemically different. It's, it's, it's apples and oranges. It's not apples and apples. Well, Phil, I, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, in the evening in, in, uh, in New York. <laughs> To talk to to talk to David and I, I really encourage people if they if they are familiar with Substack to sign up for your Substack Substack CCTV Follies. Let Phil do the work of watching, watching. the the CCTV <laughs> evening news for you, and uh, I, I hope that we can have you on the podcast again in the very near future. Thank you, Phil. Okay, it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed talking to both of you. And thank you, David. I think the next time I'll see you, you'll be. Uh, back in the warm embrace of the uh, capital. Return of the non-native. 
<laughs> the non-native son. <laughs> well, thank you to everyone who's been listening to us. You can find Barbarians at the Gate wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always send us a message if you have any feedback, comments, or requests. We play all the hits that matter, the platters that make a difference from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. But mostly, we just play drum music. 